when I was asked to come here by, by Megan and to, to speak, uh, she told me that the topic for the semester was the Holy Spirit. And I told her that I, I've spoken, uh, uh, when she told me that, I, I said, you, you know, I, I have one particular thing that I once talked about in the past in the context of a message that I was giving from the book of Acts. And it's, when does the Holy Spirit come? And I don't know if any of you have ever ever struggled between this and your discussions with, with Christians. And uh, But before I get into that, I just want to start just to to present to you that before any of this can come, we, we, we have to be saved. And so, you must be saved. And so, this is what the Scriptures say about this. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the Part a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So before anything else, we must be saved. We have to be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that He's risen from the dead. This is a physical resurrection from the dead. This turns out to be the most important thing that Paul preached. He said it's the most important thing. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So in other words, there is a way to believe that's in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the most important thing that He has to share with us, He says. That it's Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He was raised from the dead. This is the starting point for Christianity. This is the starting point for a relationship with God. Without this, it is very hard to come close, because He said, this is of fundamental importance, and without this... Our belief is in vain. You know, there are many people who feel that they're Christians, but they don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Judaism, there was never a concept of anything but a physical resurrection. It wasn't just merely a spiritual resurrection. When Jesus raised from the dead, He appeared to the brethren, and He even had, he, he, he had Thomas stick his hand into the holes in his hand, stick his fingers in there, and stick his hand into the hole in his side. And he said to the disciples, when he saw them, he said, give me a piece of food to eat. Give me something to eat. They gave him some food and he ate it. He said, you see, a spirit doesn't eat. I have flesh like you have. This is in the last chapter of the book of Luke. The Gospel according to Luke. So it's fundamental that, first of all, we believe in Jesus Christ, that be willing to confess that he's Lord, and that he's risen from the dead. And think about this. This is the most incredible thing that a person could believe. A physical resurrection from the dead. And this is where he says you must start. Because God has placed it within the heart of human beings to be able to believe this. Because it's true. But he has placed it there or else no rational thinking human being could believe that Jesus is physically risen from the dead. Because we don't don't have a lot of data points on this. This doesn't happen very often. But God places it within the heart of human beings to believe this. This is where we want to start. 
Okay, so this, this is the statement of disagreement. There's a disagreement among Christians. So I'm not here to tell you which is the right way. You're all intelligent individuals. You're going to have to figure this out for yourself. I will present some different sides, but I want you to figure it out. This is part of what the university should be, where we throw things out there and you, you know, consider all the sides, and then you come out with a thinking opinion on this. But I will tell you that there is a disagreement within the body of Christ on this point. And the reason I'm telling you this is so that you're not shaken up. Because I've dealt with people who are shaken up over this issue. And I was shaken up over this issue at one point in my life because nobody warned me about this. So I'm doing you a favor. I am warning you that this issue will come up. If not in your life, it will come up in the life, in the life of somebody you care about. And the disagreement is this. The Holy Spirit comes at the moment that a person accepts Jesus into their heart. So there's a portion of the body of Christ that believes that when I receive Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes upon me. In other words, the terminology that's used in the Bible for this is that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment that we are saved. There's another group within the body of Christ who are believers, just like you and me, that believe, that have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in their hearts that, that, that He's risen from the dead that believe that the Holy Spirit comes as a second event after Jesus has been accepted in their heart. So that I accept Jesus in my heart, but there's a second event that I then believe. Often that's associated with the laying on of hands, some believers think. You have to have the laying on of hands, and then the Holy Spirit can come. Has anybody ever been confronted with these two opposing views and seen people that are very strong in one side or the other? Okay. All right, so the rest of you will at some point. But there is a difference here in the body of Christ. And to be on either side of this, I assure you, both sides love the Lord. So if you think that you're on one side or the other and you love the Lord more than the other person, you're wrong. All right? It has nothing to do with the degree of our love for the Lord. Now I will show you some verses that talk about this and ex explain how the different, different, uh, uh, different views about this. So, the difference between books of the New Testament. So, the book of Acts is an historical book. It documents history. And there are believers that think that the book of Acts is not there for our instruction as much as it is to document what has happened in history. That the epistles, that the epistles that were written after the book of Acts, so when we get into Romans, when we get into Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, when we get into these books, these are the epistles and these have instruction for the church. But the book of Acts is a historical book. And the reason they say that is, for example, let me read you a verse from the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 8, 39-40. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. All right, so... The rationale for a particular group of people is, if this were not a historical book, if this is documenting what all, what all believers should experience in their life, then part of the experience that we should have is that we should at least some point in our life have the Holy Spirit pick us up, snatch us, and drop us in some other city. It should happen. And you see why some believers may not feel that this is in a book of specific instruction, but rather a book of a historical account of things that happened 
Do you see how some people might think that? Right, so you have to concede, even if you believe that everything in the book of Acts is for us to do and to happen today, you have to confess that one might not think that. Right? You've you got to be reasonable with me, okay? I mean, this is, this, is, this is part of living in the body of Christ. Let me give you another text. This is in Acts 5, 9 through 11. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Okay, so Ananias and Sapphira, they together, they lied to Peter, to the body of Christ, to Peter who was, who was uh, in charge of the church there at that time. And they said that they had given a certain amount, uh, that they had gotten a certain amount for the piece of land, and they had given that all to the church. Well, they lied. They had gotten X, and they gave some fraction of X to the church and said, we gave it all. And Peter said, you could have kept it all. You didn't even have to give it. Or you could have given a portion. But to say that you gave it all when you really didn't, here's the judgment. So Ananias dies. His wife, Sapphira, wasn't there at the time. She walks in. She lies again. And she, she lies also. And she dies. Now, that doesn't happen every day in the church. Right? That doesn't happen. You know, there's a lot of junk that goes on in the church. There's child molestation. There's, there, there's sexual assault. There's all sorts of things by leaders in the church. They don't drop down dead, do they? Certainly not very often, not right away. I mean, at some point, everybody's going to die. But, you know, th this was a unique occurrence. So, if we saw this all the time, then some people would say, okay, so this is a book that we really got to watch out for, you know. This... But it doesn't happen all the time. So, there is a group of people that says, the book of Acts is an historical book. It's not a book of instruction. Okay? So, we've set the stage now. All right, so here's the issue at hand. All right, so the epistles are book of instruction with imperatives for the church. That means, do this. If you count up the commandments in the New Testament, it's around 150. That can keep us quite busy. All right, there are imperatives for us to live by. So to think that, you know, we're not under the law. We're not. But we have higher standards that we have to live by. And those are written in the New Testament. We're not under the Old Testament law. If you were under the Old Testament law, Deets, you know what? You couldn't sit there. You know why you couldn't sit there? Because in the Old Testament law, a man could not sit in a seat where a woman has sat if she was in her menstrual cycle. And because you wouldn't know, you wouldn't be able to sit there. That's what it says in the Old Testament. Yeah, so you want to live by the Old Testament? That's part of it. You know? I mean, the women are fine here. You can all sit down. The guys would have to stand up. I mean, that's what it says. All right? So we're not under the Old Testament law. Thank goodness that Jesus has done away with that. He did away with that because He fulfilled it all so that we can be free. We're under the, His commands. Jesus didn't say, if you love me, keep my laws. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, the keys to the kingdom of heaven were given to Peter. Let, let's, let's see why people might, might say that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 through 19, it says, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
I also say to you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus said this to Peter, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a, And he didn't say this to all of them in the sense that he said this to Peter. He says he's going to give them the, the, these keys. So, so what could this mean? Could this mean something? Okay, now there's commands of Jesus generally to his disciples. Here, here's one of the commands from the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Okay, so how many of you have been his witnesses in Jerusalem? Okay. Mrs. Harrison has been his witness in Jerusalem. Anybody else? All right, so, so you've you got, you got work to do. Then you've got to go, you, you, you got, you got to go all throughout Judea, which is that whole province around it. Then you've got to go to Samaria, which is north of that. Then you've got to go to the remotest part of the earth. Well, anyway, so he gave this commandment to his disciples. This is what they were told to do. So they started in Jerusalem. This was the order. They started in Jerusalem, in, in Jerusalem and then they spread out to Judea and then in Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So in Jerusalem and Judea lived Jews. In Samaria, in Samaria lived Samaritans. And even to the remotest part of the earth, that speaks to where the Gentiles lived. For people who were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. That's where they lived. That's, that's what, he, what the scripture refers to. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes upon the Jews in Jerusalem, and Peter was there. Here's what the scriptures say. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts chapter 2. So there's this big message that goes forth in Acts chapter 2. And, and, and uh, all these Jews that were there, they were th- there for this, this, uh, uh, this gathering and, and uh, for this feast, and, and thousands came to know the Lord on that day. And guess what? Peter never again was needed at a Jewish conversion. Never again in the Scriptures do you see Peter having to be there at the conversion point of a Jew. Now, some would say, remember, one camp is that you receive the Holy Spirit at a time other than at the moment of your conversion. So, I received Jesus in my heart, boom, the Holy Spirit comes. Other people say, no, you received Jesus in your heart. Now it's a second event. It's a second event. Go get prayed for, go get hands laid on you. That, that second event may take five years before you ever get it done. And then over that five-year period, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the second camp, all right? The first camp says, well, Peter never again was needed a Jewish conversion. In other words, Peter was there when the gospel came to the Jewish nation. Peter was there. You see many other Jews coming and receiving the Lord and receiving the Holy Spirit, and never was Peter needed again. The Holy Spirit then comes, so that was, this was in Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit comes upon the Samaritans, and Peter was again there. So in Acts chapter 8, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is amazing. You have no idea what this means. Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Any Jew could be leaving Jerusalem and go through Samaria. They didn't mind that. 
But if, a, if anybody was walking through Samaria toward Jerusalem, they made them go some other way or they killed them. And you would see this with Jesus. When he was leaving Jerusalem, going through Samaria, they, he was fine. But when he was coming back through, they made him go around another way. Even Jesus. They didn't want any Jews going back to Jerusalem. They hated the Jews. This would be like, this would be like um, in the 1960s, some men in the Ku Klux Klan getting saved. And they say, you have to wait for a black Baptist congregation from Mississippi to come in here and to pray for you before you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. This is how amazing it was that these Samaritans would be welcoming a group from Jerusalem to come and pray for them. But look, this is why one camp says that, that, uh, uh, you ha- that, that coming of the Holy Spirit is a second event. Because Samaria received the Word of God. They received it. That means they were open to it. They received it. But they had to wait for these people to come in and pray for them before they could receive the Holy Spirit. So you see how there is a camp that can believe that it comes as a second event. Well, how does the, the other camp explain this thing? Well, they say this. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. But interestingly, Peter was never again needed at a Samaritan conversion. Once Peter, who was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, had opened this door, never again was he needed. So that when a Samaritan, remember the first camp would say that the Samaritans, when they want to get saved, they don't have to wait for Peter anymore. Because first he opened the door to the Jews, it was never had to be opened again by him. It was already open. The door was open. Remember, once the door is open, it can't be shut. Remember that? That's it. It's open. Now it's open to the Samaritans. It can't be shut. Samaritans never again needed to have Peter there. Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. Guess what? Peter was there. So when it first comes upon the Gentiles, Acts 10.44, even though Paul was the, the, going to be the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, Paul gets saved in, in Acts chapter 9. Well, what happens? Peter has to open the door to the Gentiles. While Peter was still speaking those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Peter was speaking to them. Boom! The Holy Spirit fell. Therefore, if God gave them the gift as He gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This is Peter speaking. So in other words, you know, it really wasn't a second event here. Peter was speaking the Word, and even as soon as he, as he was speaking, boom, the Holy Spirit just fell all at once. He didn't even ask him. God didn't ask, would you like the Holy Spirit? I mean, boom, He just hit them with the Holy Spirit. God did this. God did it. God spoke it forth and He did it. But Peter was there and never again, Peter never again needed at a Gentile conversion. Many Gentiles through the Scriptures get saved. Peter never again was open because the door was open to the Gentiles. So there is one camp that says that this thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit only occurred on these occasions for the door to be opened. First to the Jews, then to the Samaritans, then to the Gentiles. And once it was open, Peter was never needed. And now... At that point, the Spirit just comes all at once. And in fact, if you read the Scriptures, you never see the Spirit coming as a separate event anymore. There are these accounts of the separate events. 
However, there's the other camp that says, no, there's these accounts as a separate event, so it comes as a separate event. You know, I've played with people a little bit, in a sense, played with their minds on this a little bit. Say, okay, um, if, it, if, it, if it comes as a second event, how about if it's, you receive the Lord Jesus in your heart, and one nanosecond later, the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, nanosecond is a really short amount of time. But it's still two separate events. I mean, how separate is separate? Or do they have to be absolutely concerted? Do they have to be absolutely synchronous? Or could it be a femtosecond apart? It's even shorter, isn't it? Yeah. So could it be 10 to the minus 15 seconds apart? I mean, from our view, that'd be one and the same event. But it's separate. You see what I mean? So if you start trying to split hairs here, we all believe the same thing. But remember, this other camp feels that it comes clearly as a second event. So you have to say, okay, I see how some believers could say it comes as a second event because we read a few scriptures on how these people believe they receive the word of God. But then after some, it takes three days to go from Jerusalem to Samaria. So in other words, they didn't you know, call up on their iPhone. They had to go from Samaria to Jerusalem to deliver the message three days, go from Jerusalem to Samaria three days. So for a week or so, those people are waiting there to receive the Holy Spirit. So these were separated by more than a femtosecond. They're separated by at least a week. So you see how there's a group of believers who, believe, who could well believe that these are separate events, right? But this other group believes that the book of Acts is not a book of imperatives, but a book, a historical book that was documenting something to happen. And once Peter opened the doors, it all comes as the same event again because never again do you see Peter needed and never again is there a separation between the time they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his, his, his death and His resurrection to the time the Holy Spirit comes. Is that clear? Do you have that? All right. So, there is one unique occurrence though. And that's when disciples of John the Baptist are found in Acts chapter 19 by Paul. So remember, John was baptizing people in water. Jesus had never, even at that point, been revealed to have been the Messiah. He had never died yet. He had never been resurrected. But these disciples were going out all over. So these disciples get baptized by John the Baptist and they go. They don't hear anything about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they couldn't believe on the fundamental of the gospel. Acts 19, verse 1 through 7, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him whom was coming after him, that is, Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about twelve men. So, this was a unique set of believers. Remember, Paul, John the Baptist's message was, if I baptize you, you are agreeing that whoever I point out as the Messiah, you're going to believe it. And everyone believed it. When, uh, of John's disciples. But these disciples were a group that had gone away and never were around. You see what I mean? And so when Paul comes up to them, he says, you received the Holy Spirit. He says, what? 
John the Baptist never told us about a Holy Spirit. So he preached the gospel to them. Then they received the Holy Spirit. So that's a unique occurrence. But then others will point to this and to say, look at this. And the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking with tongues and prophesying. You know, on those other occasions, not all of them were they speaking in tongues and prophesying. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. So which one are you going to believe? Do you believe that you have to speak in tongues and prophesy in order to have the indication of the Holy Spirit? Or you don't? Did you know there's a group of people that believe that if you don't speak in tongues and prophesy when you get prayed for and hands laid on, you don't yet have the Holy Spirit? Did you know there's a group of people that believe that? And do you see how they can believe that? Because it says it right here. There's an indication. And if you take this as a book of instruction for believers today, you could see how they could see that, right? So you understand where they're coming from. But then there's a whole bunch of other occurrences where there's no speaking in tongues, no prophesying on the day of salvation. So which one is it? I don't know. Which one is it? You've got to figure this out. I figured it out for myself. You've got to figure it out for yourself. That's where we are. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is different than being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Scriptures are clear on this. Even in the book of Acts, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is different than being filled. Because believers were filled multiple times. Filling of the Holy Spirit refers to given an extra anointing for particular tasks. So, for example, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4. I thought Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts, Acts chapter 2. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching to them in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. So what do you mean he was filled again? No. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit the first time. Now he's filled for a particular task. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. So this, this filling, but then look again. Acts 13.52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism of the Holy Spirit came once, filling came multiple times. So I don't want you to be confused between the terminology. But you're all smart. You can figure this out, right? I mean, there's some places I, could, I would go, I would never try to teach this. But you guys, you guys are smart enough to figure this out. All right? So, let me tell you my life. What happened in my life really stirred this up. So, I was an undergrad at Syracuse University where I got saved at the age of 18. I gave my heart to the Lord and He just moved in on my life in this amazing way on November 7th, 1977. And just, I didn't want to leave the presence of God. Really impacted my life. And then I went... I, I spent the last two years of, of my college in a, in a, uh, I lived off campus in a discipleship house with nine other Christian guys, and we got discipleship teaching, we did door-to-door evangelism, all this stuff, and, and so I was really active in the body of Christ. And then I was going to be going to graduate school, and I was praying that the Lord would lead me to the right church, because I knew it's important to be in the right church. I take going to local church seriously. I mean, for me, I couldn't just visit here and visit there and go here and go there. No, I mean, this was a serious thing to me. So I was praying all summer before I had to leave for graduate school that the Lord would lead me to the right church. And I remember looking in the paper. They had sent me a, an issue of the school newspaper and I'd look in the paper and it said, Upper Room Fellowship, come wor- worship with us. 
I thought, oh, that's an interesting name, not Barun. That's a name from the Bible. And, and, and then, you know, I just forgot that thought, and I went on. And, and so when I drove to the school, I rented a car, drove to the school, and, and drove out to Purdue University, dropped off the car on the Sunday morning. So I got in Saturday night. Sunday morning, I dropped it off at the, at the uh, uh, there, there was a, a car rental place at the Hertz place at, at, at the Purdue airport. And I was walking back to the graduate dormitory, and I saw this sign, Upper Room Christian Fellowship. I said, oh, that's the one that I remember reading about in the paper. So I went up there and, and uh, uh, went, went to church that Sunday, and it was amazing. I had come from a, a Bible church, and, and uh, a non-denominational Bible church, and I went and walked into a charismatic church, and I didn't, know the, I didn't know what charismatic meant. And there was a worship service that was a whole lot, the singing was a whole lot better than we had had in the Bible church. I mean, they, they really knew how to, how to sing. You know what I'm talking about. It's diff- this is different. And uh, so, and I remember praying all that week. They were nice people, nice folks. And I was praying all that week, Lord, show me, is this the church that I should be in? I took this really seriously. And I would pick up my, the Scriptures. And I would read my way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I would, wherever I finished, I would start again the next day. And, 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 uh, um, and until I got through the end, and then I'd start again in the Bible. And I was reading my way through. I said, Lord, unless you show me specifically today that that's the church that I'm supposed to go to, I won't go back there. I'll go check out another place. And I opened my Bible. I was on my knees. And I opened my Bible and started reading where I'd left off the day before. And it says, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, prepared for us there. So, there were these exact words. And you can't just rely just on exact words. You've got to have the, the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Because, because you can be praying, Lord, direct me, direct me. And, and you know, the next verse you read is, Judas went out and hung himself. So, you, you, you can't just go by direct words, but you have to have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just moved in on my room. And I just remember the sense of the Holy Spirit confirming this word of God to me. Because I read this, I said, oh, that's the name of the church, Upper Room. And then the Holy Spirit just confirmed this to my heart. And I just locked in and I said, that's where I'm going. And for the next four and a half years, I was a member, an active member of that church. Well, that church was a charismatic church. And the pastor talked to me after a few months of being there, and he really liked me, and I really liked him. He says, you know, you really need to have the Holy Spirit. And I was, you need to have the Holy Spirit? I thought, I have the Holy Spirit. He says, no, you really need to have... He says, if you ever prayed to have the Holy Spirit, I said, I just prayed to have Jesus in my life. I thought the Holy Spirit was there. And so he was pretty intent on getting me to pray to have the Holy Spirit. And I said, you want to pray for me to have the Holy Spirit? I'm okay with that. Pray. So the guys came around and they all prayed for me. And after they were done, I felt no different. But they felt really different. They were really excited. You got the Holy Spirit now. And I, I felt no different. In fact, I had, I had already started an active ministry of international students at Purdue University. I had only been there like a month and a half. And I was going out door-to-door witnessing to all these international students. And I was then go through the graduate dorm, just knocking on doors and sharing the gospel. I'd go through the undergraduate dorms. I'd go around the student center. And, and uh, I, I just always had a lot of energy to, to serve the Lord. 
And none of these guys were doing any of that. But I needed the Holy Spirit <laughs> so I could be like them. So anyway, they prayed for me and they felt much better. I didn't feel any different. However, it was okay. It was really all right. Um, because the Scriptures say, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So I asked Him, give me the Holy Spirit. So I didn't feel any different, but they were happier. Well, I went back to Syracuse where my fiancé was, who is now my wife, and I visited my old church, and this was, you know, like after my first semester, and I told my old pastor, oh, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I thought he'd be as excited as the other pastor. I didn't know that I was treading into a fire. I didn't know. <laughs> and I stepped into this thing, and he's like, ah, <laughs> how could this be? No, you've been deceived. You always had the Holy Spirit. And now it was really, because I loved both of these pastors. And I didn't know who was right, because... They didn't agree with each other at all. He says, you know, you shouldn't go to that church. You know, they don't, have, they don't go deep into the Word of God. And I was thinking, teaching seemed pretty deep to me. I like the teachings there. But, and and uh, um, so, so I was really torn on this. And then I told my pastor in Syracuse, I said, here's what happened. I told him the upper room story and how God moved in. Because he's the guy who taught me how to hear God's voice through the scriptures. He's the one who taught me how to read the Bible on my knees and pray. So I learned so much from this guy. And when I told him how I was reading, just reading the next, where I'd left off the day before, and God spoke to me, gave me those exact words, and the Holy Spirit filled the room, and I had the sense and the presence of God in my room. You know what he said to me? He said, if God spoke to you that way, then you better keep going to that church. So he could appreciate that even though he didn't like the Upper Room Fellowship very much and their theology, if God spoke it, I had to keep going. And then the, Shireen and I got married that next summer and, and so Shireen came out and lived there with me and we spent years in that church and were so blessed. In fact, just a couple months ago I spoke at Purdue University and I spoke in that church on that Sunday. I mean, I love those people. One day you will be confronted with a group of believers who believe so strongly that it comes as a second event. Or maybe you are one of those believers. Then one day you will meet a group of believers that believes that it comes all at once in one package. And what I'm telling you is you can fellowship with both groups. There seems to be this divide sometimes in the body of Christ. And throughout our married life, wherever we have moved to, and we, we do it, so we met in Syracuse, we went to Purdue, then I went to the University of Wisconsin, Stanford University, then I taught at the University of South Carolina for 11 years before I came to Houston 12 years ago. So we've lived all over the country. In every place that we've lived, we've been a member of one particular church and we've never left that church because we were going to make that thing work. To us, it was really an important deal because God said to, to Moses, of Moses, he has been faithful in all my household. I wasn't going to just up and go every time some little problem happened in the church. I was going to make this thing work. And so, we have oscillated between charismatic and non-charismatic churches because it made no difference to us. And we go into a, a, a non-charismatic church and they'd say, oh, tell us about what your church was in. And we'd say, tell them, oh, we were in a such and such church in, such, in that city. And they'd go, you were in that church? because they'd know just by the name of the church that it wasn't like the group that they believed. Then we go to the next town and they say, so what church are we? That, you were in that church. 
They don't believe that the Holy Spirit comes as a second event. It never meant anything to me because to me the people were more important. And you will find in the body of Christ what Jesus is always saying is people are more important than these other things. And I can fellowship with both groups and I know what not to say in the different particular groups. I know, you know, I don't just say stuff to get them riled up. But I just, you know, do this femtosecond, nanosecond thing when they, when they, you know, when the theologues come at me and they think that they, they need to do something with me. I want you to just understand that you will be confronted by this. But God is very clear. God is very clear. He loves every, all believers. And to think that you go deeper in the Word of God in your particular group, you're wrong. You're proud. All right? There are people that go deep in both groups and there are people that go shallow in both groups. There are people that read their Bibles in both groups and there are people that never read their Bibles in both groups. You're all the same. You just differ on this one interpretation. So, how people pray. I'll tell you, you, you know, when, when, when I really need prayer, when I really need prayer, you know who I go to? I go to my charismatic friends because they just... They just really pray. None of this, oh, Father, if your will be done. I mean, they just go for hours praying with me through something. And I just love to be with them in, 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 in the way they pray sometimes. Um, so, so there are different groups. It can go very deep sometimes in certain things. Uh, and let not your heart be troubled. The other camp indeed might indeed be correct. You know? So if you think you got it right, you never know. Maybe the other group has it right. So you guys are going to have to read the Scriptures and figure it out for yourself. But let me go back to being saved. Because that's the people I really want to touch tonight. It's hard for you sometimes to even fathom what I'm talking about if you've not invited Jesus into your heart. Because that's the starting point. Without accepting His resurrection from the dead, which I will confess is a, is a hard thing to believe without saying, Father, help me. Because that's what it says. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He's risen from the dead, you will be saved. That's in an epistle. That's an imperative. You know? You will be saved. There are things here that will happen. You will be saved. If you've never come to a point of saying, Lord, I believe in your resurrection, ask Him. Ask God. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give, you the, Holy, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You ask God to come into your heart and you will see a difference in your life. I know how my life has changed because Jesus Christ has come into my heart. It has affected so many things in my life and I praise God that I received the Lord at the age of 18 because I was en route to trashing my life. This is an important age because in this time period you will decide what your, the pattern of your life is going to be like. You will decide who your, what your spouse will be, what your spouse will be like. You will decide that in this age. You will decide 
how you're going to raise your family, the things that are going to be important to you, that will be decided in this age. You get serious with God and He will get serious with you. He will work in your life and He will bless you. You honor Him and He will bless you. But I'm telling you, don't leave this institution without receiving the Lord. Don't do it. Because you will screw up your life so bad. You will make it an utter mess. And I praise God all the time that at the age of 18, I received Jesus in my heart. And I started to read the Scriptures every day of my life and have that input into my life. You need to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for these young people that their hearts would not be troubled over this issue of whether the Holy Spirit comes by one event, comes at one event, or over two events. But Father, if there be any question in their heart that they would just ask You, because You are the one who said, if You then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to Your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Father, may they just ask You, And grant them then the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for those that don't know You. Father, that their hearts would be open. That their hearts would be open to knowing You. Have mercy on these young people, I pray. Father, in a few years they'll all be gone. Father, I pray that their hearts would be turned to You. And for those that know You, that they would learn to pick up the Scriptures and have You speak into their lives. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you want me to take questions or should I end here? It's up to you. Okay.